Hello, and welcome to Ancient Answers, the program where we discuss modern topics, issues, by looking to the wisdom left behind by the ancient civilizations that came before us. My name is Shane. And I'm Gordon. And today we are going to carry on our conversation about Roman chariot racing. Part two. Part two. So, which is funny, that's Ben, ben Hur is actually broken up into two parts that's there. So, true. There's, there's a modern parallel for us. Um, so, we left off on a bit of a cliffhanger last, uh, last week. We were talking about um, some of the best paid athletes in human history. So, uh, we talked in our, we, we discussed this actually in the episode we did about sports and the pay, the salaries for modern athletes and whatnot, and how exorbitant it can be. But, there was a nothing Rome. compared, <laughs> nothing compared to ancient Rome. <laughs> Again, the Romans turned everything up to eleven. Um, so there was a ancient Roman charioteer, uh, Gaius Apuleius Diocles, who, over the course of his career, earned the equivalent of or Ready? It's, it's an estimated equivalent of today fifteen billion dollars that's a b not an m <laughs> 15 billion dollars american so my my understanding is that the way that, that was calculated was by an economist who figured out because we knew how much he had made in terms of roman sesterces and their uh their currency and it was enough money to feed the city of rome for an entire year so a city of a million people for an entire year. So basically, you could go to any pub, pub <laughs> or bar in Rome and have buy a round of drinks oh, for geez. everybody. In fact, he bought part of Rome. I'm sure he did, yeah. So, oh, so, yeah. But, but that was the way that we he was able to figure out, again, this is a rough estimate, but it was, okay, well, how much money would it cost to feed a city of a million people? So it was more about buying power than a straight conversion. But it's the equivalent of 15 billion U.S. dollars today. So, so to, to give a little bit of perspective, he was not the greatest charioteer of all time. No. We he, have, he was the highest paid. He was the highest paid that we were aware of. Okay. Um, now, to put it in perspective, in NASCAR, the record for the most wins in NASCAR is Richard Petty, who won 200 that's, races over the course of his career. That's right, yeah. In second place is David Pearson with 105. Oh, yeah. David Pearson. In Formula One. The driver with the most wins is Lewis Hamilton, who is still racing and is fighting for the championship this year. Uh, he has 98 victories so far in his career. Second place is Michael Schumacher at 91. Gaius Apuleius Diocles won 1,462 races. <laughs> and it's not like he's got a protection of metal around him. No, he's, he's, not, he's not Robocop. He's not in a metal... A metal cage driving around. He is on a flimsy. If they could have made it out of cardboard, they would have. He is on a flimsy, flimsy platform with no protection. The reins wrapped around his his forearms and and attached to him, as he's whipping these four horses down the track, averaging twenty some miles per hour, going up to fifty miles an hour on bursts of speed oh straightaways of course yeah yeah well and it was uh they did they did seven laps around the uh around the track around the hippodrome and they actually had like the, the spina in the middle was beautifully decorated or the spina and they would use these bronze dolphins that would dip or sometimes it was eggs that would dip down whenever a, a circuit was completed that was the counter that they used which you actually do see in the movie ben-hur uh so the track i think it comes out to Three and a half miles or so uh, over the course of the yeah, full race. That would be, that's so right. it was a lot about pacing yourself. But again, to get back to the stats here, the the 
the modern racer with the most wins was 200, and then Apuleius Diocles won 1,400 races, but the most winningest chariot racer of all time was named Scorpus, Flavius Scorpus. Flavius Scorpus. He, w- he was born a slave. It's guessed he was born in, uh, in Eastern Europe somewhere. Uh, he had a knack for horses and chariot racing, and he started racing, and he moved up through the ranks. He died at the age of 25 or 26 in, in a collision at the peak of his career, and he won over 2,000 races. He is recorded to have won 2,048 races. How many races would that be like a, a month? Well, he won 2,048 races. He raced wow. over 4,000 times, and his career was roughly a decade long. It's estimated that he was racing five to 600 times per year. Yeah, you'd have to do that with the math. Yeah. Wow, he didn't have a break very no. much. Well, he, he was a slave, so unfortunately, no. Um, he was able to buy his freedom. Um, I mean, he made ludicrous amounts of money. Like I said, Diocles won 1,400 times. This guy won 2,000 times. He won 600 more races than Diocles did, who made $15 billion. But he didn't, but he didn't live past 26. But he, he yeah, he died uh, at uh, 25 or wow. 26 in a race, again, at the peak of his career. He was able to buy his freedom. Uh, it was a bit strange, though, because... The Romans were just so completely in love with and infatuated with charioteers, and, and the horses were very popular as well. Like, they would get lavish funerals, and, and like, poets wrote about them. Like, Pliny wrote about charioteers, and and, and poets and, and politicians and orators would, would wax philosophical about them and their abilities and their horses and their teams. Like, it was so ingrained in Roman society, and it was it was such a part of the fabric of it. Um, that it was a huge deal when any of these people passed away, which happened all the friggin' time. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's a sport that uh, you have a, an expected long no. life. The life, life expectancy was 25 years. And they didn't, they didn't have a particularly good retirement plan, did they? Not really, because most of them were slaves. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah like gladiators. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So they, if, if you did well enough, because, you know... Um, I don't know if Di- because Diocles had three names, it's assumed that he was a free man who went into chariot racing. But Scorpius, uh, or Scorpius, sorry, Scorpius started with one name, and then later on he had two, which indicates that he went from a slave to a freed status. And his That's first right. name, Flavius, was the name of his former master. So unfortunately, while he was a slave, the lion's share of his winnings would have gone to the one who owned him. A portion of it would have gone to the team as well. Uh, again, there's a whole team behind that. I mean, there were guys whose job was to water down the track to stop dust from kicking up or else no one could see a thing. Um, so it was, a, it was a huge, huge, huge operation. And taking care of the horses. Making oh, sure the horses. Yes. I mean, horse care goes into time immemorial, mm-hmm. uh, but making sure that you're, you know, it's just like the pit crew. Today. It's the exact same thing. That's that's one of the modern equivalents I was going to yeah. uh, bring up is in in modern racing where you have your pit crew, you have your racing engineers, you have your 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 team strategists, your doctors, your physiotherapists. Like I said in the previous episode, the ancient Romans had all of that for their horses and drivers. Isn't it funny that today we still measure the performances of our racing cars <laughs> in horsepower? In horsepower. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and there's a whole methodology where it's, you know, you attach a certain weight to a horse with a pulley system and it's how yeah, far he can let... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't... It's it's weird, but, but yeah, so you could say Roman chariots, four horsepower. Um, actually, that's a bit of misleading. It was actually two horsepower because only two of the horses were connected uh, to the chariot. 
Um, that's something that's kind of strange about when when they were looking at how Roman chariots were set up because normally when you see four horses pulling like a carriage, let's say, you've got two in front, two in back. Ah, yes. And there's a central, I don't know the terminology, but there's a central uh, support that goes from the carriage forward between all four horses and then the tack goes out from there to harness all four horses to the carriage. But on a Roman chariot, there's a yoke that comes out from the chariot and it goes to the two central horses' shoulders and, and across their necks. And then the two horses on the outside are not actually connected to the chariot by any means. All four horses are harnessed together at, the, at their heads, but the two outside horses are not connected to the chariot. So it's the two in the middle that are doing all of the work and pulling. So those are your engines. That's your power. The two on the outside are more about steering. And show. Yeah, and show, yeah. It was very much about spectacle. Like I said, so uh, you'd, you'd pull on the inside horse, whip the outside horse so that you can drift the chariot around, but it was the yeah, two really in the middle that were doing the actual driving. Okay, that is something interesting to learn on, on uh, that, uh, yeah, it's a two horsepower Yeah, It's, it's a two, four horses, but two horsepower. So it's, it's kind of like with uh, uh, a lot of um, impressive vehicles or the way every car was made back in the day where um, it, they were rear-wheel drive. Front wheels were for steering, rear wheels were for power. The horses are kind of the same idea. The middle two are for power, the outside two are for steering. Okay, gotcha. That is a <laughs> really good way to explain it. Oh, thank you. So it's uh, it's pretty cool when you look at um, just, again, some of the modern equivalents we talked about, like pit crews and racing teams. Um, I mentioned briefly in the last episode that there was uh, there were actual teams um, for yeah, racing about that. So yeah, I understand that there was an, in an incident that occurred where fans <laughs> got a little out of control. Yeah. So this happened in Constantinople. Uh, so at this point, the Western Roman Empire was essentially no more. Uh, so it was what we refer to as the Byzantines, but they were still referred to themselves as Romans. So it was Emperor Justinian and his wife Theodora. They had been long-standing supporters of the Blue Faction. So I mentioned there were four factions in Roman chariot racing at this point. Oh, in I history. see. They carried it over to Constantinople. They did, yeah. So at this, actually, at this point in history, the red and whites had disappeared. Um, it was only the blues and greens left. So they each absorbed one. I think it was the blues absorbed the whites team or the white faction, and the green absorbed red. Huh, uh, that's an interesting situation yeah i wonder why was it the cost of maintaining chariot racing required a, a mergers i i believe that's what it was because again this was right around the time of the fall of the western roman empire so it, yeah. racing wasn't quite a, it was still immensely popular and it would stay popular and their races kept going even after after the fall of of western rome uh when the goths took over there were still some races but they died out pretty quickly just because of the expense uh, and the Goths just didn't have the infrastructure or the economic system in place to keep it going. Mm. But in Byzantium and in Constantinople, they did carry on with chariot racing for quite some time. But as I said, two of the factions disappeared and were absorbed into the other two, likely for economic reasons. Now, there were socio-political associations with the teams as well, where in this example where I'm talking about, the Blues were associated with um, the ruling elite, and the Greens were associated with the peasant class. So there was a very, very strong and bitter rivalry behind them. It's now, not easy being green. Yeah. 
<laughs> there you go. Um, they, there's actually evidence to suggest that uh, later on in racing history that it even went into religious differences, where the blue faction represented uh, Christian orthodoxy and the greens represented essentially everything else. So oh, these okay. are these are deep, deep, deep divisions. It's not just like you know, cheering for one football team over another, or... Oh, I or don't cheering. know about that. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know. Okay, sometimes... Tell somebody who is FIFA Cup follower. <laughs> okay, that's or, fair. Or, yeah. But I would, I would argue that these, these divisions went even deeper than Canadians' love of hockey, or Europeans' love of football, or Americans' love of, of, you know, pick your sport, right? Like, I would say that these were far more serious because of the class divisions that were much, much more significant than they are now. Um, I mean, that can be argued, of course, but, uh, but in, in this case here, Justinian and his wife Theodora had been long-standing supporters of the Blue Faction in Constantinople, but their favor was seen as being withdrawn because of some riots that had broken out in uh, January race. So uh, Justinian sent his troops in to quell the riots and deal what was going on, and the Blues sort of took that as, oh, well, if you're stopping this from happening, you don't care about us anymore. And so, fast forward a couple of months, uh, oh, some ringleaders were also captured. It, it was, you know what, it was a big long story, I won't get into the whole thing, but we'll fast forward a little bit. So that was sort, that sort of set the stage, where the Blues saw Justinian and his wife Theodora as having removed their favor. But they so, were looking for, for a fight, because Theodora's oh yeah. was not liked by a great number of the upper class of Romans. Well, she was a strong, independent woman in ancient history, so no, she was right. not well-liked at all, unfortunately. That's a good point. Um, so, fast forward, and there was another race that took place later on, and now this resentment has completely boiled over, and now you've got the Greens are furious because they were never favored by the Emperor, and now the Blues are furious because they have lost favor with the Emperor, and it broke out in a riot. So the two factions actually teamed up and began ch chanting Nika, which is Latin for win, comes from the Greek word Nike, for the god of victory, or which is where Nike gets its uh, slogan from. Um, so they were chanting Nika, and it was clear that they weren't talking about their own drivers and their own factions. It was towards the emperor and the ruling elite. They were chanting for victory over their oppressors, quote-unquote. And I guess that's when he was thinking about leaving. And that was when he thought about leaving. So things got ugly. Uh, Justinian and Theodora fled uh, the, the, the stadium anyway. And he actually thought about fleeing the country or fleeing Constantinople. And she talked him out of it uh, while they were running and barricading themselves and trying to maintain order. Well, the riots broke out across the city. The fans spilled out. They started burning the city. They were looting and destroying everything. And they actually brought the nephew of a former ruler back into the Hippodrome and planted him on the imperial throne. So this was a full-blown military coup that, or, uh, sorry, this was a full-blown civilian coup that resulted from the idea, an, un an unconfirmed idea, that the emperor had removed his favor from one of the factions. Of, the of course, there would have been other underlying reasons behind it, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So Wow, all about chariot racing. All over chariot racing. And then the, the real sad ending to this is that Theodora convinced her husband not to flee, uh, and he didn't. At this point, all of the fans and all the ringleaders of the riot had gone back to the Hippodrome and had planted you know, another ruler on the throne, so he sent his soldiers in, they barricaded the place, and then they started slaughtering them. 
and it's estimated that 30,000 people died as a result of wow. the Nika riots during the reign of Justinian in Constantinople. Wow. Hence the reason why I say these, as, as significant as team loyalties are today, uh, we see it in hockey in Canada most prominently, but we do see it in, in football on the world stage with the FIFA World Cup, like you mentioned. Um, and, and there's and strong I, rivalries amongst football, like uh, American football as well. Oh, absolutely. But you're yeah. right. People and there, there, are, there, there have definitely been bad riots for for football, and I'm talking like like soccer football. Yeah, soccer. We've definitely seen serious riots where people have been killed and stampeded, and and we've seen that happen around the world. But again, this was a, a overthrowing of the government where thirty thousand people died as a result. Yeah, it's on a little tragedy, a little bit of a different scale. Um, yeah. But that's it's it's all about how deeply ingrained in Roman society these races were and how important it was. And, and Roman emperors would associate themselves with factions and with drivers and, and or with charioteers and with teams. Um, and it was, it was again, like uh, sort of like the gladiators we talked about in, in our sports episode where it was, it was a sharing with the common people where, no, you like this, I like this. A lot of Roman senators and a lot of Roman elite didn't care for chariot racing. They thought, you know, the whole idea of bread and circuses, oh, just give people blood sport, entertainment, and food, and they'll follow you anywhere. They thought it was Im- immoral. They thought it was terrible, but they did it anyway because it worked. Because it, they saw it work. You know, it is interesting to see how it eventually faded out. I mean, obviously, the Roman Empire began to fraction up. It bro- broke up into two. The West kind of disappears by 470s. Yeah. And then the East, uh, it stays around for a little bit longer, but it starts its slow decline and mm-hmm. the pressures outside pressures and eventually uh, you're right chariot racing starts to fade off it sort of disappears yeah uh, and then eventually it stops yeah exactly like I said the the last race was held uh, after the fall of the Western Rome or sorry in the Circus Maximus the last race was held uh, after the fall of the Western Roman Empire and uh, like I said the Goths just couldn't they didn't have the infrastructure to keep the uh, uh, and and to you keep know, it going. and with society fragmented due to sort of the occupation by a new power, they wouldn't have that cohesion. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's it was a tremendous, tremendous sport. It was a tremendous spectacle that again was just so deeply ingrained in Roman society that everyone participated in. It was far more popular than the gladiatorial games. Uh, it it was far more engaging. It was just so much bigger. Again, from the example that I dropped in the first part of our, our, or sorry, at the very beginning of our first episode, the fact that the Circus Maximus was three times the size of the Colosseum. Uh, that's that tells actually you, an interesting, right. That tells you pretty much everything you need to know right Three there. times the size, that gives now, you an idea. don't get me wrong. Obviously, you need more room for horse racing than you do for one-on-one combat or even group combat. But they hosted sea battles and naval battles in the Colosseum. And the horse racing circuit was still three times the size. And there was reports of how when there were events going on in the Circus Maximus, the city of Rome was a ghost town. Because everyone would stop what they were doing and go to the Circus Maximus to watch the races. Everything just stopped. Well, if you think about it, if there were some events that could host 250,000 people and you had a city of roughly 1 million, of which... Anywhere given between 200 and 250,000 would leave the city to perform uh, activities outside the city, farming. Yeah. Uh, everybody, 
you realize, yeah, you're right. It would it would reduce the visible population of Rome by half. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was it's it's absolutely crazy. And so, um, oh, and here here's the data I was trying to find. So the last official race was held in the Circus Maximus in 549. That was the year. Five. 49. So that's still Justinian's time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was still ruling in uh, in Constantinople at that point, but Western Rome had fallen. Um, and to put it in perspective in terms of price, like I said, um, Lewis Hamilton has won 98 races so far over the course of his career. Scorpus won 2,000. Uh, and because of the ludicrous amounts of money that Scorpus made, it's estimated that Lewis Hamilton makes roughly a million dollars every race. Scorpus was making the equivalent of $7 million per victory. Wow. I feel like uh, getting a t-shirt made with Scorpus' <laughs> name on it. So. I would I would absolutely love to see some ancient Roman merchandise for Merch. Scorpus or, or Apuleius or, or uh, Apuleius Diocles, whatever. I, I would have, buy that. I could have the blue team <laughs> logo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I need to find out which faction I would uh, I would be rocking, though. That's the that's the tricky part. Well, what a fascinating... Uh, this is an amazing topic. I mean, we're two guys. Chariot racing, of course, we're yeah. going to... We're going to love it. Um, check out Ben-Hur. Honestly, check. check out the chariot race scene from Ben-Hur. It's astonishingly good. And and my, and my and type in, if you want to look up things like chariot racing on YouTube, there are some wonderful videos that have been produced by people, both mm-hmm. professional and amateurs, yeah. I'll, that uh, give a real touch yeah. and feel of it. I'll, uh, I'll post the link to the documentary okay. uh, on our uh, on our on our social media links and our Facebook page when we air this episode as well so that people can follow that. It's about 45 minutes long and, and absolutely worth a watch. It's really impressive. Well, that's great. Well, this is a great way to wrap up a second part episode. Uh, I hope everybody has a chance to follow us on social media, check out our other postings, and as, as Shane has mentioned, extra content that we provide. Um, glad you've listened to it. Uh, Thank you for listening to Ancient Answers as we talk about how the ancients deal with their issues and how they relate to our world today. And remember, next time you watch uh, an auto race, a car race, it's just the same 6,000-year-old history. (laughs) Anyways, I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.